Uh, well, the book of Micah, how we do this series is I give you a very quick recap. Book of Micah, seven chapters. Uh, Micah is a prophet of God in the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is Judah, uh, right? And so um, he's a prophet in the southern kingdom, and he has bad news, right? And a lot of these minor prophets uh, are in the same time period. But uh, Micah's message is important because he says, hey, uh, northern kingdom, um, he's talking about Samaria. He says, hey, um, God is going to completely demolish you into rubble. Uh, hey, southern kingdom, not any better for you. You're going to be destroyed. Jerusalem, all your city walls are going to be uh, left in ruin. And the temple, too, is going to be destroyed by a great army. But then the news gets worse. He says, in fact, uh, not only will you be destroyed by one army, but then a second, stronger army will come, and he's going to take you off into captivity. God bless you. Uh, and and uh, that's basically the book of Micah. Now, now, Micah explains why all this is happening. Of course, it's happening because of the rampant idolatry. Uh, early on in the book of Micah, we hear about how uh, when, when the, they come into Assyria, they're going to crush all the Asherah poles, and all the high places are going to come down. So it's, it's evidently about idol worship. But like we talked about a couple weeks ago, guys, anytime there's idolatry, it affects who God intends us to be, Right? Because God is, is holy, and God is loving, and God is just. And any time you mix any other little G God with that, none of those people live up to God's standards. So any mixture is going to diminish who, who, who you are called to be, right? And so we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So any idolatry mixed or infused with the worship of the one true God will, will lessen uh, the degree to which you do those things. And that's God's big complaint with the northern and, and especially the southern kingdom against his people in Judah, the people that are worshiping in Jerusalem, especially the leaders. He says, you guys are corrupt, right? I mean, I, I've told you the second greatest thing you can do is love your neighbor as yourself and you're taking advantage of your neighbor and especially the poor in your community. He says, like, literally, the, the, the religious people are actually selling prophecies. Hey, you want me to say something good for you? Pay me enough and I'll do it, right? And so injustice is rampant and morality is in decline. And God says, enough is enough. And so the Assyrians will come and destroy everything. Then the Babylonians will sweep in and take God's people into captivity. And you say, that's not a fun book. No, it's not. But... I think there are some things we can learn. And so I want to take a little different approach this morning because a lot of these themes we've covered already. So what I want to do this morning is talk to you about, as a reader of the book of Micah, what are some questions that, that arise as we study this book? And I've got three questions I think kind of pop up as you read the seven chapters of Micah. And then I, I want to kind of answer those questions for you. And so the first question you may have uh, as you study the book of Micah is, is this, uh, what do I do when all seems lost? Right? What do I do when all seems lost? And that was certainly the case for the Israelites. Now remember, uh, way back in Genesis, when sin entered the world, God promised that a solution would be sent to our sin problem, and that solution would be a person that would come and would crush the head of the serpent. Now, uh, throughout uh, his dealing with the nation of Israel, God promises that, that that person is a son that's going to be the king of David, that's going to sit on the throne of Israel, right? And he's going to restore uh, God's kingdom. Now, I want you to imagine, though, that you're an Israelite, and, and let's just think through this. So your kingdom has been divided. Uh, 
uh, now it's been defeated, and on top of that, you are going to be displaced. Right? So the promise of God is that a king is going to come and make all this right, but the kingdom is divided, you've been defeated, now you're displaced, and you're going, no, I, I, how's that going to work? How's that going to happen? Right? I, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm in a foreign land, this is not what I, I thought God was promising me. And, you know, listen, some of you understand what I'm talking about. You say, what do, what do I do when all hope seems lost? Some of you, that's where you are right now. You hear my voice and, and you're just in a place, you're, you're going, I don't know how God can fix this. I'm in, a, I'm in a place, I don't know how God can, can, can restore. I don't know how God can bring back. I, I don't know how he can fix my marriage or fix my job or fix my depression or fix my health. I don't know that there's a way back. And, and so some of you, this, this makes sense. But for others, uh, you hear a question like this, and you go, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? I mean, all hope is lost. And so I, I would just share with you, this is why this question is important for all of us, right? Because the Bible declares that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's just that God's holy and he's perfect. He can't have any sin in his presence. So our problem is that we are all captive. We've been taken captive by the devil, right? And by sin and its power, which is death. And so the truth is on our own and by ourselves, all hope is lost. And so we too need something. So, so what do we do when all hope is lost? What do we learn from the book of Micah? Uh, here is the, an- the, the first answer to our first question. Ready? This is what we do. We trust in King Jesus and the peace and restoration he brings. That's God's answer. What do I do when all hope seems lost? I trust in King Jesus and the peace and restoration that he brings. That's who the king is going to be. And so God begins to line out in the book of Micah. This is long before the coming of Jesus. begins to line out uh, what he is going to do. This is Israel's answer, and it's our answer too. Starting in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the word of God says this. uh, Bethlehem, Ephratah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient Times And so uh, God's solution to our sin problem, the answer is, is a new king, a ruler, and, and this guy's from antiquity. Uh, another way you might think of that is, is, is someone from eternity. This is, this is going to be God himself. It's going to be King Jesus, right? And listen to what this new king is going to do in, in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 5. Uh, it says this. It says, he's going to stand and he's going to shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God, they will live securely, uh, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. Now, now this is important. We need to talk about this. What does it mean that he is going to shepherd them? Now listen, uh, their kingdom is divided. It is destroyed. They are displaced. But what does a shepherd do, right? And, and of course, in John 10, we learn that Jesus is the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for his sheep. Surely, he's willing to die for them. But Luke 19.10 also says that the shepherd seeks and saves those that are lost. And, and, and so listen, what Israel cannot do for themselves, what you cannot do for yourself, God is going to do for you in His Son Jesus, which is, namely, He's going to find you where you are. And some of you are hearing my voice this morning, you go, you don't know how far from God I am. I may not, but He does. And He knows where you are. And listen, you can't get back to Him on your own. You can't return. So you say, I'm, I'm just trying to get back to where I used to be. Guess what? You can't. You can't. It's impossible. But He can. 
And, and the good shepherd, he seeks you. He finds you where you are. And then what does he do? Remember the, the, the parable about, about how God leaves the 99 to find the one? Do you know what he does when he finds the one? He picks up the one because the one is lost. The one is injured, right? He picks up the one. You guys seen that picture of Jesus with the sheep on his, on his neck? And then he carries him home. And that's what God does for us. We can't do it for ourselves. This good shepherd seeks us. He finds us. He saves us. He brings us home, right? But, but it's not just home. Once they get home, uh, Israel is destroyed. And, and you need somebody to rebuild that sucker, don't you? Which is great because uh, Jesus happens to be on earth a great carpenter, right? In fact, he says in John chapter 14, I mean, this is how good he must have been. John 14, he says, listen, you trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm going to go there now, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back surely and take you to be with me where I am. Well, that was a marriage custom that Jesus was quoting. See, in, 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 in biblical times, uh, a bridegroom would say to his bride-to-be, like, hey, we, they'd negotiate a price at that point, said she was bought with a price. But then he would say, listen, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going to go there now and prepare a place for us. And he would go home to his dad's house, and he would have to expand his father's house. And with his own two hands, he would have to build an expansion on his father's house that he and his bride-to-be would live in, Right? And we saw these housing units are called insulas. We see these in ancient Israel. And Jesus is saying to us, hey, guess what? Don't wonder what I'm doing. I'm building on to my father's house. It's pretty cool. See, Israel needed Jerusalem to be restored and rebuilt. And we need our lives to be restored and rebuilt. And there is a master carpenter that can do just that. He is Jesus. And finally, the uh, offer to Israel is that eventually they will have peace. They will have peace. And so how am I going to have peace in this land? There's constant war. Um, we're, we're, we're constant, I mean, we, we look at the Middle East now, still constant war. In our lives, constant battle. So how will I ever have peace? The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace who has demolished the dividing wall and in himself taken the two men, right, the Jew and the Greek, in himself, and he's made one. Jesus Christ is our peace. He makes peace between the Jew and the Gentile. He makes peace between black and white. He makes peace between rich and poor. Most importantly, he makes peace between man and God, right? Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. <laughs> First question, what do I do when all seems lost? The answer is trust in King Jesus uh, and the peace and restoration he brings. Uh, question two, I think the book of Micah raises for the reader is, what does God want from me? And what, what does God want from me? And, and, and the answer to that question is actually taken straight from uh, Scripture. Uh, here it is, do justice, love kindness, and walk in humility with him. That's the answer. Do justice, love kindness, and walk in humility with him. And that's taken directly from Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says, uh, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what is the Lord requires of you to act justly. It means to do justice, to love faithfulness. And that, that Hebrew word is, is kindness or loving kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. And so I, I want to take a, a deeper look at our answer to what does God want from me. 
Here it is again, answer two, right? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk in humility with him. And so let's just talk about that for a moment. And uh, what does that mean? I want you to notice the language. It says to do justice. And then, and then we're called to love kindness. Why does God do that? I want to tell you my belief. Uh, I, I think he does that because we naturally want to do the opposite of those two. Right? I don't know about you, it's a lot easier to love justice. It's a lot easier to love the thought of justice and equality and say, oh yeah, like every, everyone's created equal. We should all be uh, the same. We should treat one another the same. Like, we, we should, like that sounds really good to us until the reality of that invades our own security. And you say, wait a second, uh, if, if everyone's the same, everyone should, then, then, what, so then maybe I'm not as special. Maybe I, I don't ha- get as much money, or maybe I don't have as much land, or maybe I don't, and you fill in the blank with all of the fears and insecurities that you have. And so, so it's actually easier to love the idea of justice than it is to treat one another in a just fashion. So God says, hey, don't, don't just love just Do it. Do it. Ooh, I don't like that guy. And then, and then when it comes to kindness, he actually says the opposite. He says, then, but I want you to love kindness. Because here's the truth. I would rather do kind things once in a while, right? Anybody remember when Spirit 105 was in Austin, right? It had the Spirit 105 make a difference drive through. And, and once in a while, I think they told you once, in a, once a month, they remind you, like, buy the person behind you's meal or whatever and bless them and let's see how far it can go. That's really fun. It's, it's great to do kind things once in a while. You know, I gave that guy a little bit of money at the stoplight, or I opened the door and I held it for that person, or I went over and cut my neighbor's yard. It, it's, it's a lot. I would actually prefer to do kind things than to love kindness, right? Because love is something that's all-encompassing, right? We're commanded to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. We're called to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, which we're pretty self-loving. And so the call to kindness, like, I just want you to notice those words. These, this is huge. And, and then God says, if that's not enough, then you've got to walk humbly before me. Well, what on earth does it mean to walk in humility? So I wrote some things down. I think walking in humility means walking in awareness of our own sin. Okay? Walking in awareness of our own sin. Secondly, I think it means walking in awareness of God's holiness. So, man, I'm a sinner. He is holy, okay? And those things should create that third thing on the list, to walk in awareness of our need for God, right? Of our need for God. The problem is, and listen, those three things, by the way, those are the three keys to humility, right? Walking in awareness of sin and awareness of holiness and our need for God. I think that's the key to humility. But listen, if you stop there, I don't think that's enough. Because if I stop there then I, I, I just kind of feel like, oh man, I'm just an unworthy pile. Oh God, I need you. I, I mean, I might sing. I might sit there, oh, I need you, I need you, I need you. I need. Like I might get there. But, but God doesn't say just stay there. God actually says walk humbly before me. And so something has to happen to get me out of uh, this place. And, and that, that's the fourth thing I kind of have separately for you. I think walking in humility also means that we walk in awareness of God's grace towards us. Right? We walk in awareness. And for me, this is the activator. Right? So, so the other three are the key to my humility of being humble before God. But the third thing, when I recognize the grace of God, 
And, and I recognize, in spite of my sin, uh, in spite of His holiness, in spite of my utter need for Him, this God wants me to be with Him. He calls me to Himself. He loves me. He's chosen to use me. Now suddenly, I'm activated in that humility, and I want to walk with God and say, God, I'll go wherever You want me to go, and I'll do whatever You want me to do. Because I know that You'll be kind and gracious towards me. I know You'll use me in spite of myself. And now suddenly, my faith is alive. Right? All because I, I understand who God is, I understand what a sinner I am, but I also understand this God loves me so much He wants to use me in spite of me. And so I walk in that love and grace. And it changes the outline of my life. Alright? So that's the second question. What does God want from me? And the answer, do justice, love kindness, walk in humility with Him. Third question that arises, I believe, out of the book of Micah, and then I'll wrap it up is this, how do I deal with the enemy mocking me when I fail and stand guilty before God? Okay, I'm going to say that again. How do I deal with the enemy mocking me when I fail and stand guilty before God? I'm just going to tell you up front, uh, man, John Piper does a great job with Micah 7. I spent some time this week just kind of studying his breakdown of Micah 7. He kind of begins to raise this question. I'm just going to expand on it a little bit. Uh, but the answer to that, and by the way, let's talk about the reality of that, right? I mean, I mean so, so Micah is owning it. He's saying, yep, I'm guilty. Israel's guilty, right? Enemies mocking them, uh, but, but he's going to respond to that. So, so here's, here's how, how we respond, uh, because we do stand guilty before God. The enemy does mock us. So, so here's, here's how we respond. We, we respond with uh, what Piper would call a gutsy guilt. Now, that's from him. The rest is, is me. Uh, expanding on that, uh, respond with a gutsy guilt that trusts completely in the promises and power of Christ. Let me say that again. We respond with a gutsy guilt that trusts completely in the promises and the power of Christ. Uh, Micah 7, 8, here's what Micah writes. He says, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will stand up. Uh, other translations say, though I have fallen, I will rise, right? Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And so uh, Micah identifies himself with Israel and their sin and, and, and his enemy that's mocking, ha ha, look at you guys, God's chosen one, blah, blah, you're nothing, God defeated. And you can just hear the devil in that, right? Just hear the devil in that. And the truth is we also have an enemy. And, and the truth also is we, we all fail, right? We stand, when you fail, when you sin, we stand guilty before God. That's the truth. And, and the devil, uh, the, the enemy, is going to point out the truth and then twist it into a lie, right? He's going to say, yeah, see, you did sin. That's true. I did. But now he's going to say, and you're nothing, and God doesn't care about you, and God can't use you, and you don't have a future, and you know what? I mean, he'll go as far, man, every once in a while. You know that God has something planned for you, that God wants to use you when the enemy drops the nuke. You know, the nuclear, the, the nuclear option for the devil. This one's my favorite when he drops it on me. And you know what? The world would just be better off without you. That's the nuke. You should just end it. So the devil takes a truth, which is I've fallen and I've failed. And man, then he twisted it in all kinds of untruths and lies. So what do I do? What do you do when the enemy is mocking you and you are indeed guilty before God? Right? 
Well, here's the first thing you do. You confess your guilt. Yeah, dude, you're right. You're right. I have fallen, right? But here, here's, here's where the gutsiness comes in. But guess what? I will arise. And, and listen to this. That doesn't come from you. That's not because of who you are. That's not because you're scrappy, right? That's, that's not because you've got some kind of great spiritual tenacity. Listen, I can stand confidently when the devil lies to my face and, and I, I'm guilty before God. And he says, you're nothing. God can't use you. You're, you're, too, you're too dirty for God. When he says all those things, I can stand confidently before him and say, you know what? I have failed. But I will arise. And listen, not because of me, but because he has already risen. Because Jesus has already risen. So guess what, sucker? I'm not staying here. I'm getting back up. All right? And that's what we learn from the book of Micah. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? This is an Old Testament book. And maybe you've read it. You read it. You're on our Bible reading plans. If you're not, by the way, you've got to come get a bookmark. We're reading the Bible together. You need to join us in it. It's one chapter a day, five days a week. It will not take a million years for you to do it. But man, it, it matters. And so I want to encourage you to do So how do we apply these things? Very quickly, number one, uh, I think we learn to just trust in Jesus. Right? To trust in Jesus. Um, we will find ourselves in life in places we don't want to be. There are even times that we will find ourselves captive by our sin again. Yes, even as a Christian. And you're not going to be able to fix that. You're not going to have enough gumption in you to be like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to, like, you need the power of Jesus. And sometimes you're going to find yourself in places and maybe, maybe you're here and you've never trusted in God. You go, man, I, I, I hear about God. I hear that He loves me, but I'm just too dirty. I, I, I can't be accepted. I, I don't know what to do. You're right. You don't know what to do. But He does. So all you got to do is call out to Him. Listen, He's the good shepherd. He will shepherd his people. He will come to you. He will find you. He will seek you out. He will heal you. He will pick you up. He will bring you home. He will make you his own. He does it. He does it. He does it. Read the book of Micah over and over again. I will, I will, I will, I will. God is the one that acts on our behalf. So we just have to trust in that. We trust Jesus for salvation, that he'll find us for restoration, that will bring us back for peace, that we'll become part of God's family. Number two, uh, we need to start just doing what God wants. I know it sounds dumb. Like, we should know this, right? Just do it. Do what God wants. What does God want? Man, God wants me to do justice, to love kindness, to walk in humility with Him. What does God want? He wants me to love Him with everything that I have and love others like I love myself. Like, that is the heart of the Bible. And yet, we're still here. Right? We still get caught up in all the stuff that doesn't matter. We just need to do what God wants of us. Make that our primary focus. And lastly, Book of Micah teaches us we need to get back up. And tell the devil to go back where he belongs. To get back up and to tell the devil to go back where he belongs. And some of you may say, I don't like that, Pastor. That sounds a little, huh? Yeah, it is. But it's not, huh, from you. It's that way because of Jesus. Because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because death could not hold him. And sin should not hold you. Do you hear that? Death could not hold him. And sin should not hold you. I have fallen. When you do, and you will, by the way. And the enemy is all up in your business. 
to look at the enemy, to have a little stare down. What does the Bible say, by the way? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Every once in a while, you are going to have to stand your ground against the enemy who is lying to you. Now, he's telling the truth about your guilt before God. You did. You failed. You blew it. But then he's, he's twisting all that into lies about you're not worthy, you're no good. Every once in a while, you're just going to have to stand your ground and go, you know what, dude? I did fail, but check this out. I'm getting back up because of Jesus, and you have no power or authority over me, so why don't you just go back where you belong? In Jesus' name. All right? We've got to become those people that are comfortable with that. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know about you. I like the book of Micah. I know you read it and you go, man, this is kind of doom and gloom. It is. It's a lot of, got a lot of good application for the modern reader. And so uh, I'll encourage you, join us as we study these Old Testament prophets. You will be blessed by them. Uh, you'll be stretched by them, and God can use it. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. I want to say this to you guys that are here and to those that listen online. And we have a lot of people as we've kind of changed our format. We're not like just doing an altar call and an invitation. People are like, I don't even know how to join the church. Uh, you just It's super easy. We've digitized everything. Uh, I have people that shoot us emails. We actually have a digital church membership form now. Uh, we'll email it to you, and you fill it out online. And we got all the information, and then we'll call you down at the end of the service um, in a following week when you're ready, and, uh, and you get to join the church after we talk with you about um, your love for Jesus and what that looks like in your life. So I want to throw that out there. Haven't been throwing that out there. We'll make that clear on a regular basis from now on. Guys, let me pray for us uh, in our, uh, our battle with the enemy. Uh, this week. Father, uh, we know that sometime this next week we're, we're probably going to fail. And when we do, we know the enemy is going to be really active. He's going to be spewing all the lies he normally does. And we know uh, that we're, we're probably going to want to buy into some of those. God, I pray that this message would resonate with us and that we would have the strength to tell the enemy that we will rise even though we've fallen. God, for those that feel so distant and far away from you this morning, I pray that they would hear that you, King Jesus, are the good shepherd and that you are a seeker and a finder of those that feel lost. I pray that you would do that for them this morning as they cry out to you. God, that you would not only meet them, but you'd pick them up and you'd carry them home. I pray that they would feel your loving arms around them today and make all the difference in the world. God, we love you. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit and for the truth of your word, which is alive. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.